everyone. You're listening to Everybody's Story, and thanks so much for being here. I'm your host, Emily Mikus, and today I have a really great, unique interview with Jen Slatt. I've known Jen for a very long time, but I've never gotten to talk to her about anything like we talked about during this interview, so it was really special for me. She's a musician and a music teacher, and she's also really into fencing. We talk about her love of fencing and how it's a type of exercise that she truly enjoys. Jen has an interesting perspective on bodies and playing music. So I played music a good bit during my life. Uh, I played oboe and I also played percussion, the drums, but I never really thought much about how we're actually using our bodies to play the instruments. Maybe that seems silly, but I never really thought much about it. And also that injuries can come from playing music as well. So I really appreciated her point of view on that. Jen is also a super passionate music teacher, and she talks about the physicality of teaching, especially with young kids, which was really interesting. Finally, she discusses ADHD, managing it as a kid and now as an adult. She talks about breaking the stigma that's around ADHD, as well as other mental disorders. So I appreciate you all listening in today, and please continue to send me feedback. If there's something you like, something you don't like, let me know. If there's something you want to hear about, someone you want on the show, let me know. I've gotten some really great feedback so far, so please, please keep it coming. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, share the podcast with your friends. It would really mean a lot. All right, that's all I have for you, so enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I am here with Jen Slatt. She is an elementary music teacher in Cincinnati, Ohio. We also went to school together in Michigan, and Jen is a good friend, and I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. So welcome, Jen. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yay. Okay, cool. Me too. So I suppose I know you're a musician so um, and a music teacher, but I think we could maybe just start with your kind of general thoughts about your body and your, um, yeah, the way you think about it and maybe from growing up from a kid to now as you're an adult and what your body image was like and if it's changed and just kind of anything you want to share. Yeah. Um, well, growing up, I always had a pretty like neutral view of my body. Like I, I was not paying attention in a lot of my childhood (laughs) as a kid with ADHD. So I, it was all I could do to get through the day. I didn't really think about my personal image that much. Um, But I also had, you know, very body positive parents. And so I didn't really ever have any issues with the way I grew up. Um, When taking the medication I took as an ADHD kid, uh, a lot of the side effects, especially when you're growing up, are like uh, an appetite suppressant. You just don't feel hungry. And so I was very skinny all the way up through like high school but um you know so I did have like I never had an eating problem I always was happy to eat like I ate when I was supposed to but there were times like people have said oh you're so skinny and like I couldn't contribute to conversations about like weight and things like that which um has bothered me a little bit more recently as an adult because like people don't think I can be empathetic to if they're talking about their weight and their weight problems. So that's kind of bothered me in that, like, there's a little bit of, um, I was, it's a weird to say, cause it's sounds so whiny, but like skinny shaming, Yeah, you know, and, um, people are like, Oh, you know, why would you complain about that? But it's also, you know, I feel comfortable how I am. And I'm lucky, but I also have my own body image issues. Sure. If that makes sense. So I don't know. That was kind of rambly, but. (laughs) No, that's fine. Um, But I was talking about this in another interview, I think, um, that women often bond over, you know, hating their bodies, basically. And it's it's really unfortunate. But um, yeah, you probably felt excluded and thinking like, you know, I have body image issues too. And yeah. Well, and yeah, that, that kind of jumps out at me because, you know, of course, especially like working with adults and we have like our lunch time that we talk. And of course, when you're eating lunch, you know, you're talking about what you're eating and, and so and so is on Weight Watchers and it's been doing great. She's like lost like a hundred pounds and 
all these things. And I talk about, you know, I started cutting out sugar during the school day, which uh, is a surprising amount when you are an elementary teacher because you get deliveries from cookies from like all the birthdays. And so I would get like two or three cookies. And even though if I took like a bite or two of each cookie, that's still like a lot of sugar. But I ended up like losing like five or six pounds just from cutting out sugar in the day. And I have mentioned it once or twice because it's kind of cool. Like I was happy with that. And then of course the go-to comment is, well, you don't need to lose weight. And I'm like, well, but I could and still be healthy. <laughs> like, you know. Mm. Yeah. And I think this also brings up the issue of, you know, health versus weight that I'm, I've become more passionate about. And that's just to say that you don't know someone's story just by looking at them. And people have different motivations for cutting out sugar or wanting to lose weight. And as long as that is good for them and makes sense for them, then it shouldn't be anyone else's business. Right. And I'm sure you probably experienced this too as like another girl who's like really tall. Because um, well, you're like 5'11 or something like that. Yeah, and I am too. And the thing that I find really interesting is um, my height is kind of deceptive into like my size, right? Because so I'm like pretty proportional, but when people like, you know, offhand you're talking about pan sizes or whatever, they're like, what are you a size four? And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I am an eight. But you know, you think that because of just the way that my height balances how wide I am or whatever. So it's, it's interesting and people are like, you're not an eight. And I just like, well. <laughs> Yeah. And like, ideally, people just wouldn't talk about this stuff, right? Like, why do we right. care so much? Right. I know. And it's weird. And I don't, I don't mind it so much. It doesn't like alter my feelings about the people I work with or whatever. But it's just one of those things where you just kind of go, huh? Like, I don't know if that was the best thing for you to respond to me with. <laughs> like, I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> Yeah, and it always just makes me think, aren't there so many other things we could be talking about and thinking about? Although here I am starting a podcast about bodies, so maybe I don't have room to talk. Hey, well, it's good. Maybe you're trying to change the narrative, you know? Yeah, I definitely am. And I think just to help people realize that we are so much more than our bodies. But yeah, I can definitely relate to you with being quite tall. And so it gives the illusion that I'm, you know, a certain size and I am you know, thin, and I do have privilege, like both of us do, because there is a lot of fat phobia and fat shaming that goes on that we've never had to deal with. So yeah, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so I'd like to get more into exercise and movement and kind of your relationship with that. So if you want to just talk about your experience, your history with sports, movement, in school or otherwise. Um, well, so, uh, mostly I was terrible at all, uh, coordinated sports, (laughs) anything with like something round or whatever that you had to throw or catch or kick. I just did poorly. I couldn't focus on the game enough. Um, so ultimately in middle school, I started doing track and I decided I wanted to do hurdles, which was a terrible mistake. I don't know. I don't know if we were ever on the same team or if you remember me doing hurdles because we weren't, we were a year apart, but it was a train wreck. Every race, like this was in seventh grade, I think. And every race I would trip and it was just a mess. I wasn't coordinated enough to get my legs over. Like I had these gangly legs that were like flying all over the place. And then of course being me though, I was like determined to do well at it. So I wasn't going to let it go and try anything else. And then in eighth grade, I had an injury uh, where I like ruptured a tendon in my hand, I had a surgery. And so the thing about that is that it's a very delicate healing process. And the surgery happened, I think in the winter. And of course, track season was in the spring. So I, they didn't want me doing hurdles in case I fell because it could then re-rupture and I have to have the surgery all over again. So the only thing I could do in track, because I wasn't that fast, was long distance. And I wasn't that fast at that either. <laughs> um, I, would, I was so bad, but again, I was like determined to do well. So I just never quit. 
but I would run these like 30 minute, two mile races. Like they were so long and to the point where they would start doing hurdle heats, like while I was still finishing my race. <laughs> but for some reason I enjoyed it. And so I did cross country in high school and, you know, track and all that. Um, and then, uh, I didn't do a whole lot in college when I got there just because I moved to a city that has like a ton of hills and those are like my worst nightmare. And so I didn't really run. And then I finally got back into working out regularly recently when I found fencing for the first time. So, um, yeah, I want to hear all about fencing. You're the only person I know, as far as I know, that uh, does fencing. So I'd love to hear all about it. I love it. It's my favorite thing. Um, I, I hate working out. Like I really do. And it's really satisfying to go and fence because it's a super intense workout, even though when you watch it, like any watching any great athlete, like you're going to see in the Olympics or something, they make it look so easy, but like, it's basically like a high intensity interval training where you just like sprint at each other and then you go back and then you do it again. And, um, but you're thinking all the time not about the physical part you're more just like interacting with like am i gonna get a point am i gonna get my blade on them and like that kind of thing so it's more like mental um so it's like why i like working out but uh i've always been interested in it like since i ever saw it on tv and like I can, yeah i can pinpoint it to like the olympics where i saw it oh really um it was 2008 in beijing and um, like my mom and I had like the house to ourselves and we would, I would like run in the morning. It was like the summer. So they would do cross country stuff in the morning and then come home and she'd come home from work and we'd just like sit on the couch and like eat ice cream and watch like all of the Olympics. <laughs> and I watched like so much fencing. I couldn't, you, the rules were crazy to me. I couldn't figure it out. And then um, I didn't think to look into it ever. And same thing, like the next Olympics and the next Olympics, I was like, this is so cool. I wish I could do that. Then I ran into a friend or actually it was one of the friend of mine that was doing band camp with me. We were teaching. He does it at college. And I overheard him talking to Root about it. And I just pounced. I asked him like 10,000 questions. <laughs> like, I don't think he was ready for it. But then I was like, oh, well, I live in a big city like there's got to be some kind of fencing club around here right and they, it turns out there's like three or four and so I just started doing it and love it that's so cool Jen and I just love when people can find some sort of movement or exercise that they actually enjoy and it doesn't feel like a chore the whole time and I think my opinion has changed probably in the last year or so I used to be a lot more of the mindset, you know, no pain, no gain and push through anything and hit workouts. And that may work for some people and it may not work for others. And it's just really cool that you found what you enjoy. I never thought I would like working out. I honestly look forward to going it, like four times a week. Well, it used to be four. My tiny gym that I go to now does it three times a week. And then the other club that I was in was like the fourth time I would go, but they're not open yet because they're at like a big rec center and they've got other things to worry about. Yeah. And now tell me, how do you feel when you're fencing? Do you feel strong or powerful or how does it make you feel? I feel very like focused, which is so cool for me because it's not often a feeling that I've had. Like the majority of my life has been very like out of like kind of taking everything in all at once. Um, and, and this is kind of a moment where I get to just for like three minutes, you know, or like, you know, 10 seconds here, 20 seconds here, I get to just focus on this one thing and like stopping them from hitting me and hitting them. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really cool. I feel, I always feel very drained, but like in a good way afterwards. Um, I always find that feeling after swimming or like dancing any kind of full body workouts. You're just like wrecked at the end of it. Yeah. Um, so have you found, have you always found that exercise helped you focus or was that mostly just with fencing? Like, did you feel that with running? Oh, absolutely. I did. Um, and I think that my parents, uh, when they were working with our pediatrician, 
on my ADHD, like she was kind of an ADHD specialist. We were lucky to have her. She was really about the whole treatment of ADHD, not just medication, but like diet and exercise. And they really bought into that, you know, having me be in a sport almost all year. The only time I didn't really do it was like in the winter, but I would, you know, run in the spring and the fall and in the summer, but it was always like helpful to kind of get the energy out. I think even when I was tired, like I could then go home and like, like do my homework and just get it done. And I think it puts my mind in a great place. Yeah. I think that's just so amazing. The mind body connection and how great it was for you and still is. Um, so I'm just wondering, is there anything else, any other type of exercise besides running and fencing that you connected with? That's mostly it. Like I said, I'm not very good at other sports. So, (laughs) but like before, when you said you weren't coordinated, I was thinking like fencing must take a ton of coordination. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't, I think, um, now that you, now that I think about it, 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 it's more about timing than it is about like, I think the, the big movements that you have in like basketball and soccer and those kind of things, like the, the large scale gross motor things that you need, I don't have a strong base in, but fencing is really largely about refining your movements and being precise. And so, and there's really a limited range ultimately of like what you can use. Like there's like eight blade like positions and like, that's all you use. And you mostly use just like two of them. And it's about just like playing off of your opponent and either getting them too close to you or you're staying far away. So it's really more like strategy or strategy. It's less, it's less coordination because once you get like accurate with um getting the point on where it needs to be like that is like part of it but then the rest is just tricking your opponent into getting attacked by you (laughs) yeah I love that it's just so unique and just so interesting so good for you yeah thanks so I'd like to hear about um injuries you mentioned one earlier but I'm wondering we can talk about that one or any other injuries that you've had, whether it was through uh, exercise and sports or through um, your experience as a musician. Well, um, we'll start with the a sports related one because that's I've only had one serious one. And um, but it did really kind of affect me. I've had more with the music stuff, but um, my. I guess it was my senior year of high school during cross country. I um, strained my hamstring and it was like during a hill workout. And of course, you know, being like, just like the grit through it, you know, be tough mentality was kicking in. And I, at that point I was one of the captains. So I didn't want to be like a quitter in the workout, Mm. but um, I remember somebody telling me like, you got to tell a coach, like, you're not, cause you're, you're running funny and you clearly aren't doing well. And I was like, okay, I'll tell him. So he had me start heading back. And then he like ended up, you know, he used to like drive his van like back and he saw me like struggling and like picked me up and he's like, I want you to go to the trainer. Cause I think you might've actually hurt yourself. And so of course I had to not run for like a couple, like a month or something. I, I didn't run for a lot of my senior year, which is a huge bummer because I just the year before gotten like my, my best time in the 5k. And, uh, but I, I did a lot of cheering and stuff. I, I took on that kind of role, uh, which I think was the reason why I was one of the captains. It's not because I was the best runner because I was mostly junior varsity, but um, that, that was hard just because I was a little sad that I didn't get to run some of those races, but it did give me a different kind of respect for like the role of, of being a team captain and more than just being like one of the people doing it. Like I could be a morale booster or whatever. Um, yeah. That's so great that you could just 
throw your energy into supporting your teammates. And I remember you uh, because we ran cross country together for anyone listening. Um, I remember you like cheering on the sidelines and being super supportive. And instead of, you know, having a pity party, which I myself have done at times, um, you could just, yeah, put yourself into supporting your teammates. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad because it just, it was all I could do at that point. And, and, you know, my mom didn't, she always, uh, hammered home. You don't throw yourself a pity party. You got to find something else like positive about it. I was like, okay. I took that completely from my mom. And then, uh, with music injury stuff, uh, which I think with things like dance, it's a lot more people realize and think about the fact that injury is very common, I think. But the thing that people don't realize is that making music can actually cause just as much injury. And in fact, there's a huge like problem with overuse injuries in music, the, in the professional performing field. Um, I had, well, in eighth grade, I ruptured my tendon, which wasn't music related but it did cause me not to be able to play. So I couldn't play my clarinet. And I, like they, they were auditioning for like the upper band at high school and I couldn't audition. So I was like, spent the year in concert band and I was like really ticked about it, <laughs> but I'm okay. I, I survived. And then in uh, college, you know, it's like next level. You go to a degree program where literally it's your, area of study to spend hours like practicing and you find out very quickly like you know my muscles in my mouth aren't like that strong so I've got to build those up or for me it was the positioning on my hands were um, a little bit like off of what they should be and so I was putting strain on some of my tendons in my wrist and I actually had to take time off my junior year because I had like severe pain along my uh tendon that was like along your thumb um it was actually like a gardener's injury usually because like I was holding my clarinet like you would like dig into the ground and so that strain was going the opposite way but same kind of pressure and uh oh that was it was rough um I couldn't get better as fast as I wanted I already like the school I went to was, was very prestigious. Like the, the, and I didn't realize like how much better than me people were going to be. Cause I came from a small town where I was just like pretty good. And um, so that was hard mentally. And so I was already under a lot of pressure to try and be better all the time and not being able to practice was really upsetting. Um, I think that was more where I was kind of in my own pity party. Like, I'm not as good as everyone else. I'm not going to be as good as everyone else. Like, I got all these master's students and doctoral students just like, and I'm just still, you know, getting all nervous for auditions and like not doing really well. And I've got underclassmen who are playing better than me, you know, so it was like really frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. And once that comparing starts up, that can be really difficult, you know? Oh my God, yeah. And uh, the thing about CCM was while it's like a really competitive school, like the talent there is so strong, of the competitive school environments, this was probably the most friendly. Like if, if you got something and you earned something, people were genuinely happy for you. But at the same time, you had people you compared yourself constantly and you knew everyone else walking through the practice rooms were listening and figuring out who's that, who's playing that. Oh, they messed that up. Like, I don't mess that up, you know, and that mental game. So it was hard. Yeah. That sounds really difficult. And it's something that's been coming up a lot in interviews is the comparing ourselves and also that college can just be a tough time that's coming up in some of the interviews. And I think it can just be a really hard time for a lot of people. And you're kind of on your own a bit more and trying to figure things out. And yeah, it can just be a really 
difficult time for some people. And also, thanks for just bringing that to my attention about injuries in musicians, because I think as dancers, I tend to think, oh, we have it the worst. And I mean, dancers do get a lot of injuries, but it sounds like musicians do too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's so many um, people that I know, and, and, you know, it's specific to different instruments, but I know uh, um, a trumpet player who had... I can't remember the exact term, but basically her embouchure, you've got to buzz your lips. So, um, but her, she had, uh, basically her lips would not buzz. Like they just stopped buzzing. Right. And she's her a junior in trumpet performance. Like, like literally her embouchure just wouldn't work. And it was, it was, um, similar to that condition. I don't know if you've heard of like people's like hands just like freezing up. Right. Like, like her lips, like would she could get them into the amateur, but like her, it wouldn't buzz. And I know like singers, um, I had growing up, we thought I had vocal nodules, which are basically like um, polyps or bumps, like calluses on your vocal cords. And so I used to sing like up through maybe the beginning of high school. And then they were concerned about my voice. And so I stopped and I've done like physical therapy because now I use my voice all the time in teaching and singing and everything. And so I've, I've gone and gotten scoped and we've done like vocal therapy and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's such a physical act of creating music. Yeah. And that's really interesting because now I'm just thinking of, I really need to kind of broaden my perspective on that and dancers and musicians. Yes. But also anyone who depends on their body for the work, you know, a, construction worker, anyone with any sort of physical job could really struggle with injuries as well. So, and I'm just thinking of musicians now and just how using, you know, one body part over and over and over so much, how that really could be damaging. Oh yeah. And, and, um, you know, teaching and music, like, especially if you're doing elementary music teaching can be really hard on your voice. And um, it's actually teaching in general is considered one of the most uh, high risk activities for the vocal folds that because you're talking over children and there you have to, you know, get their attention. And sometimes you talk too loud and it's like improper use. And I had a friend who just had surgery on her vocal cords because she had I think it was she had nodules but she had to be silent for like two weeks after that and um Adele's had surgery on her vocal cords you know because just all that kind of yeah and these are all really great things related to the body and injuries that we don't even think about and we depend on our body for so much don't we so I'd like to talk about something slightly different. I don't remember if we've talked about this yet. I think we talked about it before the podcast about performance anxiety. And I'm just wondering what your experience is with that, because I know I've dealt with it myself a lot in dance. And I always think of the fight or flight, but I usually have the last reaction in those instances, which is to freeze. So that means, you know, forgetting my steps and my body won't listen to me. So I'm just wondering if you've had anything like that where, you know, the mind-body connection was sort of lost and you couldn't remember how to play or anything like that. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, for me, and this should have been a red flag, like, right away in my undergrad, but I was too, again, like, head down determined to do what I was going to do. To, like, because I was doing performance, I was not going to do education. I came here to do performance. I came to this great school. Like that was my mindset. And but every time I had an audition, I pretty much tanked it. I mean, it, it was. I got so worked up. My I would my I would feel tense in my chest. I would feel like my heart would beat really fast. I'd have those moments while playing where my I'd have that out of body experience of like, oh, I should be focusing right now, and then I get back to it. But um, the the crazy thing about auditions for music stuff, especially now, um, and this is in professional level too, but colleges are doing it a lot, is that they're blind. So you you're behind a screen, 
and the judges or in that case my teachers were behind the other side so they couldn't see you and so you would walk in there would be just like a stand there and a chair and you would play and then they would say thank you and you would leave and so there was no you know you couldn't gauge it um a, a lot of not even just me who i think had a little bit stronger performance anxiety i think it's very normal um but a lot of people that i went to school with had it and in fact it's kind of a industry secret where uh people take beta blockers before auditions which are normally a blood pressure medication it's like whatever but so, some people probably had been prescribed this for other conditions then played with like taking it and they found that their performance anxiety had gone way down and so a lot of times before auditions and stuff people will take like just beta blockers and it finds that they find it helps them so yeah it's it's really weird yeah um so is that the reason you then kind of moved away from the performance side of music it was causing you too much stress and anxiety a hundred percent i finished my performance degree um and then i took like a gap year basically i i was just like a waitress uh and making pretty good money actually in doing that but i i really didn't like it it was you know at this kind of higher end place and and i could make decent money doing it but it was like really stressful and very physical like more so than what i do even as a teacher and uh i was just so depressed like i didn't like what i was doing i didn't feel like i had like a purpose and then i i figured out like it was a light bulb moment i had after coming back from band camp as per usual as i did every summer i would work that week and i always looked for it was like the highlight of my summer and i never thought it was because of the teaching part i just thought it was because of like going home being back in my band program that i grew up in and um but i had a light bulb moment that summer about like oh i like the teaching part of this and i like interacting with kids like helping them get better so then i kind of did a like i met with the music ed faculty at um that the music school in cincinnati and i like just told them i wanted to teach and they were like well we can do all of the undergrad music ed courses in a year and a half for you and i was like okay i didn't know what i was signing up for because that was a wild ride <laughs> so i basically just got a year and a half of classes in order to obtain my license to teach so yeah and i'd love to get more into this um about your work as a teacher and i can just tell it's just bursting out of you how much you love it so um i love that i love it <laughs> so i'd love to hear about just what you love about teaching in general um but also about the the movement and the physicality that's involved in teaching yeah i mean teaching in general is just very physical which you know the, you don't really think of it that way especially with um if you had like teachers that would like sit at their desk a lot like not every teacher is as physical but like my job especially i teach kindergarten through eighth grade and so i have a whole spectrum of students that i need to keep engaged and with the older kids, I'm able to stand up in front a little bit more stationary, but I'm still moving around a lot, checking on what they're doing, like if we're playing ukuleles or whatever. Um, but the little kids, like I am on the floor, we're rolling around, we're jumping, we're dancing, you know, we're doing all kinds of stuff. And it helps them to learn better if you can move, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something that even as adults we can use movement and this idea of play um i went to this dance therapy workshop there last year just to kind of learn about it and we worked with the idea of play and moving around and just kind of letting loose and it was amazing what i learned about how play and movement can help us 
express emotions, process emotions and learn better and also just have fun. There's two things that, that brings to mind for me. Um, one is that I love going to these music education conferences. They go once a year. Um, Ohio has a really great one, but I always go to the elementary music sessions because that's my specialty. Well, the best part about it is we are the adults there, but we act as the students. And so we get to play and we get to like literally play instruments, but like play games. We get to sing, we get to dance, we get to do the physicality of it. And for me, I'm, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So like that, that movement, that touch, like all that for me is it helps me learn it. Um, it's a blast. The other thing I think of too is like you go to these sessions, like I've gone to a couple talk-based sessions over the years and you can just look around the room and see adults like shifting in their seat like 20 minutes in, like getting antsy. And it's because we're not really meant to be stationary. We are meant to be moving. And so to have people just sit and listen for so long. And I see it in so many educational seminars, like they just get up and lecture and I'm just like, okay, but we're like, just like children, we need to get up and do something, you know, it never goes away. That's very cool that you can like bring that into your own classroom as well then. Yeah. Um, because you could very easily just stand up there and teach a boring class, but I imagine it's also cool for you. You get to experiment and be creative and find new ways to teach. Oh yeah. It's so fun. Well, and it makes sense, especially when talking about music to young kids, to keep a steady beat, like you have to feel it, you know? And so we walk it, we pat it, we touch our nose to a steady beat, we pass something, we draw it, we do all, but it's like 90% of what I do with them is, is physical because in order to play an instrument or internalize a beat, it has to be felt first externally yeah that's actually so true and I'm thinking now like that I could bring that into my dance teaching as well because you know sometimes you get a kid who doesn't have as much rhythm as the others and it's one thing to just tell them to just feel the beat um but you know if you can get them to actually feel it physically feel it it does make a huge difference it's so true too and it depends on you know of course the, the age of the child too like some kids like there's actually a, all this crazy stuff I learned in these sessions, but like developmental readiness and like reading readiness is also related to body. Like you'll see um, if kids can like cross their arms and pat their shoulders, then they can read a page in a book. Like, because if they, if you ask them to do this with their arms crossed and then they, they look at you and they don't cross their arms but they pat their shoulders, and they'll like look at you like smiling like there yeah I did that but they're not they don't understand like they can't cross the midline which is that's an important part of reading readiness actually and it's interesting to watch like physical development and how it translates to advancement intellectually but also like with concepts and there's like a hierarchy of like what like you know with kindergarten and preschoolers especially this is kind of where you see it the most but skipping versus galloping like skipping is a really hard skill and you, kids have to be able to gallop first and then they can move on to skipping so it's like a whole physical development on that scale yeah huh that's really interesting yeah, this stuff is really new to me and I've never thought about a lot of these connections. So thanks for sharing all this with me. Yeah. So um, I'm wondering if you want to talk about ADHD at all. I know we mentioned it earlier in the episode, but um, I know it's something you've dealt with and, you know, have learned to manage. And I would just love to hear about your experience with it, if you're willing. Yeah. So this is kind of my soapbox and it's not super uh, body specific necessarily. So uh, if they're, if people aren't interested, they don't have to listen to this part, but <laughs> yeah, stop now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's just something growing up with it. It's, I feel like it's such a misunderstood diagnosis and I, I hate to say disease, but it's essentially you know, it's a mental illness really. Um, and 
it's not on the same maybe scale as some other more serious ones, but it's something that I wish I could make under make people understand more. Uh, I find that there's a lot of the old fashioned idea with ADHD of like, well, just focus. And people are like, hello, like, look here, you know, and they, they think that you can snap somebody out of it. Yeah, it's just like depression, telling someone to just be happy. Right, just buck up, you know, and, and that's just not at all how it works. Um, of course, you know, with, and I've, I've had depression as well. So like, I know, you know, for me, at least when I went through that, it was always like a slow build. So it like kind of wasn't something that came out of nowhere, um, of course. I didn't recognize it, so, but um, with ADHD, it's, it's, I think, a little bit different in that it's a daily struggle and it's a daily occurrence and you can never predict what the child is going to do or, I mean, an adult as well, but with the person that has it, how they're going to behave or what they're going to say. And I think, uh, I just wish I could sh like transplant all my memories like into these people that kind of like doubt its legitimacy. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with my colleagues and parents at my school um, to some degree of success and some others didn't really want to listen that much, but of how medication is really something that has helped me so much. And I know that with it being a stimulant that there's a lot of stigma around that type of medication and, and people are hesitant to have their children treated with it. But the alternative is that your kid might not achieve what they're capable of if they can't focus, you know? And if you think, you know, if you, you diagnose your child with diabetes, you would get them insulin, right? But with mental illness and that kind of stuff, it's, people think it's a lot more subjective, I think. And there's kind of that, idea that parents like I know my child and like they they think that they know their child really well and which may be true but at the same time I think people forget that teachers see a control group of students every day like I've got I see every week 440 kids if your kid is standing out to me it's either in a good way or a way that needs attention like and help right um, so can you just explain what you were saying about with the medication? So is it that people may be less inclined to give their child medication for ADHD? Um, yeah, I think that's part of it. I think ADHD specifically has, um, a really huge, like opposition, like to the medicine. And I know part of it is that because it's a stimulant, it's not ideal, like you really want to limit the amount that you put in your body. It's not great for you. Um, and it can cause like down the road, like, you know, heart problems and stuff in, in your middle age. And like, and I get that, but like for me, the payoff is, you know, let's assume that I, I have heart issues when I turn 50. I've had 50 years, give or take, of being functional and building good habits to set myself up to be able to be successful, even if I have to go off that medicine. Like my dad uh, can't, he used to take ADHD medicine too, but he can't take it anymore. But he's got like his routines and his systems and he's still able to like function. Drives my mom crazy now, but, <laughs> right. but there, you know, he's doing, he's doing well and he's able to take care of like heart stuff that's going on with him and um, just manage it without the stimulant medication yeah so I, I yeah i think it's just it's so hard when especially when parents don't have adhd themselves it's usually genetic but if they don't have it it is so hard for them to conceptualize like why is my kid losing stuff he's just not paying attention where he puts it why is yeah why can't he remember what he has to do for homework why didn't he write it down like oh he forgot you know or whatever yeah, and then I wonder if it could turn into um, the parent ends up disciplining their child even more yeah. because maybe they think they're just a bad kid or a hyper little kid or, you know, that it can be fixed by other methods. And then also I'm realizing now that like there definitely is 
a stigma against ADHD because so language, I'm really, really fussy about language because it's really important. And I've definitely heard the phrase, oh, I'm just being really ADHD or don't be so ADHD. Um, have you ever experienced things like that? Oh, that drives me crazy. And it's the same with, say, OCD. When people say, oh, you're being so OCD. Like, no, OCD is a disorder as well as ADHD. Right. Yeah, it is so frustrating. And, and, and like, I'm very, it used to just be like ADHD, like people using that as a throwaway word would trigger me. Um, not, you know, I wouldn't go crazy, but it would just like really, oh, I hate that. And then, but now I'm more sensitive to other, like, I feel kind of depressed. I'm like, okay, well, are you actually depressed? Or are you just feeling down today? Because like, there's a difference or, you know, bipolar, like, you know, that that's a real thing. Like people with bipolar don't just like have mood swings. Like they're like, they get really upset for a few days and then they calm down for like a month or whatever, you know? And it's not at all what people just use for throwaway words. as like slang, you know? Yeah. And like, if people can take one thing away from this, it should be that that stigma is still out there and we should, you know, watch what we say. Yeah. There was a, um, a really cool art piece that I saw on the internet like forever ago. It was like in a video and it was basically like a sphere and it was a clear glass sphere and it had like windshield wipers like on it or some kind of wiper. So like all over it, but this um, black like liquid, I don't know if it was like water or some kind of paint would like come out the top and like come out all the sides and like the windshield wipers are like going and it like clears off a little bit but then more comes down on top of it and blurs it up and it was like the installation was reflective of like what it's like to try to hold on to thoughts when you have an ADD brain like you they're there for a second and then they just get washed over with something else and no matter how hard you try to hold on to it you can't you know it just goes away I thought that was a really cool visual of it um I wish I knew the artist so I could like look it up but it was it was very cool to see wow yeah that sounds really lovely um and that seems like a good place to end unless you have anything else you would like to add um I had nothing I can think of really okay cool so let's get into our rapid fire questions um the first one is what is your favorite thing or the best thing that your body allows you to do make music yeah okay nice one um i expected that actually um what is your favorite instrument Ooh. <laughs> um well i'm i'm obliged to say i think clarinet obviously <laughs> i have i'm a little biased okay i expected that one as well um favorite food Ooh, pasta any kind of pasta okay yeah that's fair enough <laughs> um Favorite grade or age to teach? There's a t it's a tie. Um, kindergarten or fourth grade? Interesting. Yeah. Yes. I actually like that fourth grade age too, but I would find kindergarten really tough. I can, I can, uh, they are the most joyful ages in general. Um, and kindergarten is just like pure joy, like always doing something different. They have like the same attention span as I do. So I like every three minutes we're doing something new. And then um, fourth grade, they get kind of like over their like second and third grade drama that they have. And they just kind of become like cool with each other again. And they're really happy generally. And then, but they're capable of doing so much more than kindergarten. And I suppose maybe they haven't hit that preteen, you know, puberty, any of that. So Fifth grade is fifth grade is a tough year. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, okay, last question. Where would you travel tomorrow if you could? I'll probably come visit you in Ireland. Ah, <laughs> stop! You have to say that. <laughs> no, honestly, I've been like I, I I have been wanting to come visit you since we last hung out. So. Uh, yeah, that would be amazing. Um, that's such a nice answer. So thank you so much for being here, Jen. Um, if you want to just share your social media and let people know where they can find you. Oh, sure. Well, um, well, I would say 
you can follow if you're interested in my fencing progress. I have a fencing Instagram. <laughs> I do. Uh, it's the music teacher fences. And so people can follow me uh, getting better slightly a little bit at fencing step by step. And then um, I don't, I do have a YouTube channel now. I had to make one for school. Uh, so it's Miss Slat. It's M S dot, and then my last name, S L A G H T. Uh, and so if people want to see really lame puppet music stuff, <laughs> Yeah, but no, since we're still in lockdown or partially in lockdown, if people have kids and they want to have them watch something. There's a, there are actually some really fun ones. Um, there's, there's one where they get to be secret agents and like write rhythms. And uh, there's a couple of songs. There's a lot of sing-along songs. There's a couple of activities. I've, I dragged Kevin into helping me with a couple of videos doing handshake games and stuff. Uh, so it's fun to look at if they're interested. Fun. Yeah, great. Um, and I can put everything into the show description as well. So thank you so, so much for being here. Yeah, it was so great talking to you. Okay, everyone. Thanks again for listening. And thank you to Jen for being such a lovely guest. Remember to get in touch if you have any feedback or ideas. You can find us on Instagram at Everybody's Podcast. And if no one has told you today, you and your body are beautiful. You are all so special and amazing and worthy. All right, I will see you next week.